This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Here you go. Here you go. Welcome to the August Mailbag. This is actually one of my favorite episodes we do once a month at the end of the month. We take all of your questions that you leave on Apple when you rate and review five stars. Thank you. And then write a review. Thank you. We are over a thousand reviews. Let's keep going. For whatever reason, Apple likes seeing reviews and so does CBS and so does Coca and so does Mikey. So keep reviewing and then ask questions. And what I do here during this mailbag, mailbag episode. I keep saying, if you listen to Nothing Personal, all the episodes, and I promote this, I say the mailbag bod. That's just how I am. The mailbag pod. I think we should get right into it. It is a heavy show today. Lots of great questions this month. If I didn't get to your question, ask it again. Maybe I'll think about it differently when I read it a second time. Maybe I'll answer it just on Twitter at David P. Sampson. Or maybe I won't, but it'll be fun to read because I do read every one of them. So I'm getting right into it. This is a question that has been asked at dinner parties and when you go out and you're with friends and you sort of dream about something. I, I wanted to start the show with this because I took some time. David, comma, top three people you'd like to enjoy a beer or cocktail with historical, film, family, etc. Curious what direction you'll go with this. Appreciate your time. So you always get these questions, right? Who are the three people you'd like to have dinner with? Who are the three people you'd like to meet dead or alive? Who would you kill as a baby if you could and not let them grow up? All of these crazy sort of other world questions reminds me of the man in the high castle, this sort of outside reality that doesn't happen. So when I was thinking about a dinner. It wasn't really about a beer or a cocktail because I'm not sure that any of these people would have a beer or cocktail with me. But this was about getting three people in a room and then how I would lead a conversation with these three people and exactly what I would ask. And you're going to see a common theme. I want to sit with Gandhi. I want to sit with Muhammad Ali and I want to sit with Bill Gates. I'm lucky enough that I had the chance to meet Muhammad Ali, but it was well past his prime. He was suffering greatly from Parkinson's, and it was very difficult. He wasn't talking, so having a conversation obviously wasn't going to happen. He would talk with his actions, with his eyes, with his hands. He'd give you a fist. But back, especially now with all, all of the systemic racism and social unrest and all of the protesting and, and boycotting and, and striking and everything that's going on, sort of uber awareness that we all hopefully now have, people may tend to forget that Muhammad Ali back in 1967 in the 60s, he was one of the most controversial athletes maybe of all time. And he took a stand. He took a stand against Vietnam, got stripped of his championship belt, and just had a fascinating view he started, he was born Cassius Clay and changed his name to Muhammad Ali when he became Muslim. And it was, uh, he lived a life that in his mind, and I've had the opportunity to speak to his agent, uh, a man named Bernie, who uh, really is a tremendous, a tremendous man. But I got a chance to really understand Muhammad Ali from someone who had spent hours, 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 days, weeks, months, years with him. He was more interested in his life outside the ring. So I'm talking about sitting with Muhammad Ali about his life outside the ring. Gandhi. Gandhi's someone who I was introduced to when I was in high school. I, I wrote a paper about Gandhi. Back then, 
the way you came up with subjects, no one will appreciate this unless you're in my demographic. The way you came up with subjects for research papers and term papers is you went through, if you were lucky enough to have an Encyclopedia Britannica in your house, or you'd have to go to the library, but it was very strange. There'd be volume one, which was AA through BC, and then volume two is BD through FG, and it would go like that, and you would leave through the Encyclopedia Britannica until you found a subject that interested you, and then you'd do the research, and then you'd go to the library and get books and learn about it. There was no interweb, so you had to do actual research, not with your fingers, but with your eyes. Gandhi, and this was also around the time, I believe, that the movie starring Ben Kingsley came out, and I was just fascinated with the prospect of someone who took a stand and he was all about nonviolence and he was trying to secure freedom for Indian people, freedom from British reign. And Gandhi had a philosophy. He would go on hunger strikes and he, his view was that in order to effectuate change, you had to make the ultimate self-sacrifice. This had to be about you with a plan. And this is very pertinent to what's happening in today's world. His view is you needed a plan. The plan was always going to be nonviolent, but you needed to have an object of the game. And I say game, not trying to be humorous because it's not a game. This was life, death, freedom, democracy. This was not about rings and championships and banners. So you have to have a plan. His plan, similar to Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King actually was a, you know, studied Gandhi as also believing in nonviolence. And no matter what was done to him or around him, he never, ever would resort to violence. But he had views about independence and about why he felt that getting out from under British reign was so critical for his people to move forward. Now, why Bill Gates? Bill Gates, not because he started Microsoft, not because he invented uh, Microsoft, what his role has been in the technological revolution that we have all been a part of in our lifetime. I would say of all of the inventions, there are people who would argue, and this is a different mailbag question, there's people who would argue that it's the wheel is the greatest dimension of all time. Electricity could be the greatest dimension of all time. There are people who believe that the computer is the greatest invention of all time, one that has caused the greatest improvement, the greatest change. I want to talk to Bill Gates and have him at this table because of what he has decided to do with his life. And when he stepped out of Microsoft, he devoted his life full time to his foundation, the Melinda Gates and Bill Gates Foundation. And they have decided with their billions of dollars that they are trying not to quote unquote change the world, but they actually tackle topics with stated goals and then they choose to pour money and they do it themselves. It's not as though they just, part of it is they choose organizations, but they also create organizations. Bill Gates is involved and interested in wateries and interested in, in, do you know, I mean, listen, this is a whole nother mailbag question. Well, when you turn your faucet on, wherever you're listening to this pod and water comes out, I'm not sure there's anything more that we in modern society take for granted than clean and running water. Forget the fact that you get angry when you lose your Wi-Fi connection or when someone freezes or when you can't get your remote to work or when you try to DVR a show and it doesn't DVR correctly or any of the other, I lost a text, I deleted a photo, I can't believe, hello, I can't get service. I'm lifting up my phone to the sky to try to get one more bar. I'm so furious that I, hello, hello, I can't hear you. These are high class problems. There is such a huge part of the world that doesn't have water. So the reason I want them together is I want to know what gives people the courage because it's not about money. Bill Gates had it. Gandhi didn't. It's, it's about having a belief that is so strong that you will give up every other part of your life in order to see that your goals are met. It is a drive of selflessness, the likes of which mortals don't have. I don't have it and I'm very charitable and I'm giving of my time and I try to be the best person I can be. But to say I'm 
far from perfect, would be gross hyperbole. And to say that these three men were perfect in every way would only be a tiny exaggeration because no human is perfect, quite obviously. But I want them to get together at a meal and explain to me, channel through me, whether or not they were born with this, whether their views evolved, whether they knew they had a plan for greatness, not to obviously take anything away from Muhammad Ali's, the greatest of all time. But I just want to know for sure what it is from them and their DNA that we can take and spread around like a vaccination. Because it's not about being rich. It's not about being poor. It's about having that desire. And I don't know that it can be taught, but I want to sit with the three of them to make sure that I'm wrong. Because if there's even an iota of a chance that the way these men were can be taught to others, I would love to be that conduit. Thank you for making me think about that question. Second question. This goes back a little bit to a show we did in Nothing Personal. I think it was sometime during the month of August, but as you know, I am terrible with dates and times. How do you reconcile your take about Jerry Jones and the kneeling and quote, there is a right and wrong side of history and your take on the dream, which is the WNBA team, wearing their vote Warnock shirts and how as team president, you wouldn't let it happen. Jones is the owner and president of the Cowboys. No, not saying you're necessarily a hypocrite, just wondering where you draw the line and why. So I chose this question because I don't want you to think I'm afraid of being called out. You know, I have corrections on nothing personal. You know, when I get something wrong grammatically or I get a fact wrong or I say a name wrong, you know, I'll correct myself. You've gotten to know that as listeners. But I want to repeat something that I'm willing to repeat every show if that's what it takes. I am not one of these members of the media, former team president, who thinks that I'm right all the time. I am not one of these members of the media who has his own show and a platform where I am asking you to agree with what I'm saying. I have a slightly different take. I want you to educate yourself and use me as one way of being educated. Learn both sides of every issue that you want to have an opinion on and then form an educated opinion, believe in that opinion, stick to that opinion until you are taught or change your beliefs. You don't have to agree with me. So let's back up and say what I was talking about. Jerry Jones has been very vocal And it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the NFL season starts. He's not interested, at least last year, in seeing anybody kneel on his team, his team, his rules. If you want to kneel, uh, you can't. And I said that there's a right and a wrong side of history. And history will show that kneeling had nothing to do with the flag. It had nothing to do with the military. It was simply about being heard and about bringing attention to systemic racism. The WNBA team, which is part owned in Atlanta, remember I did a segment on Kelly Loeffler, that very right-wing woman, and there is someone voting against her. She's a senator. Someone's running against her, Reverend Warnock, and her players wore a T-shirt that said, Vote Warnock on the court. So the Atlanta Dream women's basketball team took the court with a vote Warnock shirt, which was obviously against their owner because Kelly Loeffler is a co-owner. And I said at the time that I wouldn't let that happen. So the question is, how is it that I can say that Jerry Jones, as an owner, has the right to make rules but, excuse me, let me, let me rephrase this. I want to make this way more clear. By the way, this is just like any other show, even though I'm with Mikey, not Coca today. We don't edit it. This is however long the mailbag episode goes, and we just go straight through. The two sides of the issue are this. 
I went public and said to you that as president of the Atlanta Dream, I am not letting the players wear vote Warnock. I'm not, I won't do it because I will not let them be disrespectful of an owner of the team on team time. During that moment, there is a uniform to wear. If those players want to take a stand and talk about their co-owner and say they don't agree with her, say they are going to bring out the vote and they want people to vote for her opponent, they don't think she should be a senator, I am always in favor of our players, any players, having their own right, their freedom of expression, their freedom to express what they feel. I have the right, though, as their employer to say to them, you, this is the uniform that you wear when you play for our team. This is what you wear when you come to work, when you work at a gas station or a Wall Street firm or a venture capital firm or a marketing firm or when you are a toll collector or a police officer or a garbage man. It doesn't matter what your profession is or a plumber or a comedian If you work for someone else, part of that, and it's a private company, part of their job, even in the public sector, there is a dress code. And that dress code, you have the right as an employer to enforce that dress code. How about school? If there's school uniforms, you got to wear them. And if there aren't school uniforms, they still have rules. You can't show the belly button. You can't wear something too low cut. You can't have political messages on your shirts. You can't have pornographic material on your shirts. There's all sorts of rules. And if you violate them, you can be asked to leave the school or change your shirt or go home, change your clothes, and then come back to work. If you can't come back to work, we're not going to pay you. As president of a team, I would know. I wouldn't even have to be asked by the owner. I would know that I would have to sit down with my members of the team and say, listen, that is not an appropriate way. I'm not going to allow it. So the line that I draw, and that's the question you're asking by saying that I'm a hypocrite, by saying I wouldn't allow the vote Warnock shirts, but Jerry Jones has the right, uh, does not have the right in my view. If players are going to kneel, that is something he can have a rule about being out for the anthem, but it is not a league-wide rule, but it can be a team rule where you want your team to be out and standing on the line for the anthem. And then players have the right to say they're not going to take the field. And then you have the right under the collective bargain agreement to fine them for violating team rules. And there's a limit to what that fine can be. But to say to them that you will be there, you will stand up, you will not kneel. I do not believe he has the right to do that. That is a subtle difference, but a real difference. And it doesn't mean that I'm hypocritical. What it means is that where I draw the line is, you know, and I've been accused of being way too pro-owner. And I'm not pro-owner as much as I am, as much as I am pro-pragmatic. And pro-pragmatic means that I know how to run a team because I've done it for a long time. And I know what it is to manage people because I've done that for a long time. And I know that you cannot have anarchy. You cannot let the employees have total control over what goes on because they don't know the full story. You have to draw lines the way parents have to draw lines with, with their children. I am not my children's friends. I am my children's parents. Friend, parent. I am my children's parent, not my children's friend. There are many parents who want to be their children's friend. I never view that as the position I wanted, my children have other friends, the ability to make other friends. My job is to be loving and caring and understanding, but also explain life lessons that I have learned along the way and let them decide how they want to take what life has to offer and how they will react to what life is presenting them. That's how I feel I am as team president. I feel as though that my job is to let my employees know, here are the facts, here are the rules, and here are the areas where there can be interpretation. Feel free to maneuver wherever you want in the area of interpretation. But if you cross the line and break the rule, I'm going to let you know about it, and I'm going to enforce it, and I'm going to enforce it consistently. 
So I cannot allow the players to wear vote Warnock t-shirts in the same way that I can't make players wear vote Loeffler t-shirts. Think about that. Let's pretend that a candidate for office owned a team and everyone on the team loved this candidate. This candidate was, was, was democratic. This candidate was not racist. This candidate was not sexist. This candidate represented everything that many of the players stand for. Very pro LGBTQ, speaking as the NBA or really any team that should be pro that. I cannot as president, if my owner said to me, they've got to wear a vote Loeffler shirt on the court, I would say to the owner, I'm not going to do it. And the reason I'm not going to do it is I'm not going to let him wear a vote Warnock shirt either. And if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm not going to force my players to believe in what I believe in. I'm going to be absolutely proud and strong in my convictions, whether the players like it or not. And I'm going to run the team exactly how I want to do it. Think about Chick-fil-A. I just thought of this, by the way, Mikey. Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. If you're a franchisee of Chick-fil-A and you're Jewish or you completely disagree with the right-wing agenda of the owners of Chick-fil-A and you're a franchisee who owns a Chick-fil-A in the middle of a hugely blue state, guess what? You can't open on Sunday, period. It's not negotiable. You know the rules going in. I'm not often called a hypocrite. And I, although you did say not necessarily a hypocrite. So I'm going to say that where I draw the line is with consistency. That's the answer to that question. So I want to segue right into the next question, which is also about how I would run a team. And this is about for asking this. In your office years, did you have a personal policy to not buy coworker cookies or donate to their 5K fundraiser? Or did you allow people to pitch you? Did you set a policy for your office? I love this question. So as president of the team, I had an open door policy and a real open door policy. You can ask my assistant, Beth, all you had to do was call Beth and say, I want to see David. I was very respectful of the chain of command. So if someone at the manager level came to me to complain about someone at the director or VP level, I would give that manager an audience. And my first question would be, how have you approached this with your direct report, assuming it was not a sexual harassment issue, if it's a how business is done issue, if it's I'm frustrated with my job, I don't don't get enough I'm frustrated with my salary. I don't get enough pay. I'm frustrated with my desk situation. My computer's old. You've got to go to your supervisor before you step on your supervisor's head. Now, when it's something related to sexual harassment or other such criminal activity, obviously you can go right to the team president or HR or somebody who makes you comfortable. So I had an open door policy and I had over the years Everyone was aware of my view of charity and community. I gave a lot of money and time to charity. I've always done all these athletic events from Ironman to double marathons to seven marathons in seven days on seven continents, always raising money for charity. I always, when asked, would try to give, whether it was $36, $72, $118, $1,180, whatever number, I would try to give to as many causes as possible. And I always found a question that was asked of me, what was the hardest part of your job? I get that question asked. It's not on today's mailbag, but it's a bonus question. The hardest part of my job, plain and simple, was saying no to people and worthy causes. The Marlins as an organization and me personally, I would say we got 200 requests for everyone we could say yes to at a minimum, maybe even more. 
And when I say no, that means we don't do anything. So there were times when we would give, we'd send a signed ball. Hey, we're doing an auction. Can you send anything? Hey, can you sign a business card? Hey, can you send a ball? Hey, a bat. Hey, a uniform. Hey, can you give cash? Hey, can you sponsor this? Do you want to be on our website for that? Even saying yes to so many requests, saying no to the ones I had to say no to was the hardest part of my job. So I did not have a personal policy to not buy coworker cookies. I had the opposite. My personal policy is that I would say yes way more than I would say no, but there was a condition. There was a condition to my giving when it came to employees. And the condition was, I needed you to ask me yourself. I wanted you to practice asking because I would then be helpful to help you get better at asking other people for charitable money. It's a very hard thing to do. Some people are super uncomfortable doing it. I've never been uncomfortable asking people, as some of you may know, with and and you're smirking right now. I can see your smirk. Well, you asked the public for money to build a stadium. Of course, you don't have a problem asking people for money. You certainly don't have a problem taking away people's money. All right, I'm talking about charity here, folks. That's low-hanging fruit. I'm okay raising money for charities. I like raising money for charity because I recognize how fortunate and privileged I am. So the reason I wanted people to come into my office and ask me or during a game, come into the suite or whenever they'd see me around the office, around the stadium, come and ask me. Tell me what you're raising money for. Tell me what you're selling or what you're offering. Tell me what you want. I want you to be comfortable doing it because I want you to take that skill and spread it to other people and help you raise more money for your organization. They were all amazing causes. Obviously, if there's a cause that hits closer to home, for me, I would give more money. If it's a cause for an employee or an employee's family member who was sick or suffered from a disease, I would try to give more money. I tried to lend an ear by having an open door policy. So you call, you call Beth, you get an appointment. I may cancel the appointment post. I never would cancel. You know this from nothing personal. There's cancel, there's postpone, there's halt, there's suspend. I would postpone meetings, but I would never cancel them and they would always get rescheduled. And whether the meeting would last 10 minutes or sometimes as long as 30 minutes or 60 minutes, I was there to listen. So the reason that I would not have a policy is that I wanted our office. So I did not like when our business email was used to solicit. So a rule that we had is that that you cannot use the Marlins.com email, dsampson at Marlins.com, or whatever your name is at Marlins.com, to send email to all. Hi, I'm running a 5K, raising money for cancer. Please donate. No. And the reason I said no to that is not because I wanted to cut down the number of mail, mail emails in the server, not that I didn't want to overwhelm the server. Our, our server got overwhelmed by PETA and other such organizations, so that's not an issue. By sending an email, I felt as though that was too impersonal. I felt as though that I wanted to carry my policy from childhood and into adulthood that I passed on to my uh, my friends, my family, that I want, if you're going to send me an email and explain to me what your charity is, I want you to be able to say it orally and concisely in something that I would call an elevator speech. An elevator speech, I think we've talked about, Mikey, on Nothing Personal, is you've got an elevator ride. This I'm a New York City guy, so that's how we would do it, from the first floor to the 30th floor and you're with somebody that you want to communicate with about what you do for a living or what you want to do for a living or what job you have or what charity you're raising money for, you've got a 30-floor elevator ride to make it very clear to that person what you want and how that person can help you get what you want. To do it, you've got to be concise. You've got to be clear. You've got to be quick. 
So I wanted people in the office to learn those skills because those skills are transferable wherever people's careers would take them. There was not a set policy other than don't use the email, but there was absolute agreement around our company that people were raising money from each other for all of the great things they did individually. Thank you for that question. Okay, next question. This one's a bit interesting because of you'll find out why. How did you feel about Ryan Braun when he cheated eight years ago trying to circumvent the drug policy? And how do you feel about him now? I've not been asked that question for Ryan Brown is University of Miami product. Best friends with a friend of mine named Gabby Sanchez. Gabby Sanchez played for us. He actually helped open our new ballpark in 2012. Married to Judy Sanchez, who became, traveled around the world with me doing seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. She was in charge of the social media and in communications during that trip. And I've spoken to Gabby Sanchez about this because when we drafted Gabby, there were steroid rumors about Gabby. And I remember being asked by our scouting department, did I have a problem with that? And I said, there's testing. If you believe that he can be good out steroids and you believe he's not on them or you believe he was unfairly accused or you believe he never did them or you believe he's got other issues that were happening in college and they weren't steroid related, there was only a rumor they were steroid related, draft him. When Gabby was brought into the company, he works for Fox Sports Florida now, among other things, when he was brought to the team and he made his way up to the big leagues and he was a big leaguer. And uh, I talked to him about his time in University of Miami because this was the time of biogenesis and he knew all about A-Rod. And I always thought that uh, Miami was just a hotbed of steroids. So then Ryan Braun gets caught and suspended. And what Ryan Braun did after that is something that I spoke to Gabby about a lot because I knew it was his best friend, but I was so angry with what he did. When Ryan Braun got caught, he basically did the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Instead of owning it and just coming out and saying, I made a mistake, I regret it, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Instead, he impugned the entire system and those individuals involved in the system of testing. As you recall, there was some sort of excuse that his sample got tainted. It wasn't refrigerated. It got held up by a a mail company or an overnight delivery company. It was some load of crap. And when it happened, I said to Gabby, how are you letting your friend do this? He looks like an idiot. Why wouldn't you advise him that he was Mr. Milwaukee Brewer, the face of the Brewers, an unbelievable player? Mikey, am I wrong? I think he won an MVP. I'm talking about one of the best players in baseball. And he has totally screwed himself by taking this position. I don't know why he took the position that he took, but he did. And then he stuck to it and he didn't back off. Time is the great equalizer. People don't think about it now. They've moved on to other issues. They've moved on to other players testing positive, moved on to things that in theory matter more to people than steroids, like sign stealing, like racism. Ryan Broad had this amazing career, six-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year, has no rings, but has been on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He will not make the Hall of Fame. He won't have a chance. The way I feel about him now is I'm sad. I'm sad that he has become, to me, not just a shell of what he used to be, but the fact that I thought he had a different character. I thought that when being caught for steroids that he would own up to it. It's what I'm still upset with D. Gordon about. And I love D. Gordon. 
and I and I feel close to D Gordon and I've told him I'm upset with him about this. So eight years has passed and I don't think about it every day. But when I see Ryan Braun at the plate, when I see his lack of performance, when I think about him, I go back to that. I give him credit for the great things he's done with the Brewers in the community, with Christian Yelich in the California community when it came to wildfires, when it's come to what's gone on with all of the centuries of systemic racism and how he's doing his best. I give him credit for those things, but I don't forget the reality that when it came time to protect himself, he got some really, really bad advice. Thanks for that question. Okay. Next. I've never listened to podcasts. Okay. My buddy played one of your 45-minute shows, authentic, raw, smart, funny, and real. I've listened to you since July. Well, thank you. Truth is the great equalizer, and your delivery makes me smile. Thank you. Getting to the question. My favorite movie is Braveheart, and I love quoting certain lines from the movie. What is your favorite movie quote? You know I'm not going to turn down the opportunity to talk about a movie quote. How many of you listening know what my favorite movie quote is? Well, this is a quote that I actually have in French as a tattoo on my side. So that really must mean it's a favorite quote. And it comes from a movie. Oh, I was showing you something because I thought we were on YouTube, but I think this is just audio, Mikey. If you've watched on YouTube, the Nothing Personal with David Sampson channel, you know that I have a partner here at Nothing Personal. In addition to Coca and Mikey, I have a partner every day with me at home, and his name is Wilson. And Wilson is from the movie Castaway. And my favorite quote from Castaway comes after Tom Hanks has been rescued. And he is with his friend, And there is this amazing scene where Tom Hanks is facing forward and the camera rolls around him. It was done in one take and it is one long take. And the camera goes in a semicircle around him as he's holding a drink with ice in his glass, talking about the fact that he thought he was going to die on that island and that he never thought that he would get away or escape, and there was no way to. And then he woke up one day to a noise, and that noise was a porta potty had washed on shore of his island where he was a castaway. And that porta potty, he turned into a sail, and he was then able to use that sail to escape the island into the ocean and get discovered by a passing barge liner, a huge cargo ship. And when asked about it, he said, after having given up, he realized he just had to keep going. And now here's the quote. Tomorrow, the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? The tide brought him a sail. And that quote to me has been the most meaningful quote, whether it's Shakespeare, any other movie. It's a very bizarre thing. It's Castaway. I understand it's not Shakespeare. But that quote speaks to me more than anything has ever spoken to me before. Because whenever you are having a day where things aren't going right, where you feel as though there's no hope, where you can't believe that the lot you have in life can change, when you believe that you are overwhelmed with the burden of your existence or your situation. The truth is, if you can just hang on till the sunrise, it's going to come tomorrow no matter what. The sun comes up. After the darkest of days, the sun will come up. And who knows what the tide could bring. 
Thanks for asking that question. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, to end this month's mailbag, uh, I'm a list guy and I released my top 100 movies and I've talked about my top TV series. So someone said, can you tell us your top 25 songs? I accepted the challenge. I don't take these challenges lightly. In order to come up with my list of top 25 songs, I had to go through catalogs of songs, albums, tapes, the inner Google. I had a look at Apple Music. Pandora, I would leaf through. Spotify playlists, my running playlists, my flying playlists, my relaxing playlists, my go to bed playlists, my driving playlist. I have all of these playlists. And what I love about my list of 25 songs is that many of you listening to this show will not know many of these songs. And all I would ask is that you recognize that these are my top 25 songs. Now, you will see a theme. Yes, believe it or not, I am a hopeless romantic. I just am. I have admittedly, and you may have heard this on Levitard or you've heard this on Nothing Personal, I've got a shell and an armor over me where I'm completely unemotional. But there's something about music that actually stirs my emotions. It, uh, what's the word? I'm going to say it in Yiddish. To utz. It's it, um, prod, but that's not even it. I was thinking about cattle prod. It doesn't prod my emotions. I guess it unleashes my emotions. I associate songs, as many people do, with moments, with circumstances. The lyrics speak to me. So here you go. And if you've only heard of like eight of them, give them a try. Number 25, by George Michael and Aretha Franklin, I knew you were waiting. Knew you were waiting for me. I can't sing, but that's it. Number 24 is by Todd Rundgren. Little known fact, his son Rex Rundgren was a minor leader for us. I wanted to call Rex Rundgren up to the big leagues because I wanted Todd Rundgren to come to a game because memory, if memory serves me, and I may be completely wrong on this, Mikey, I believe Ted Rundgren was in some way related to Liv Tyler. I have no idea why that's in my head. But I thought that we'd get Todd Rundgren and Liv Tyler to come to a game if we called up Rex Rundgren. He never made it to the big leagues because the baseball people said, come on, man, we can't call up Rex just because of that. Why don't you go to one of Rex's games? I tried that. It didn't work. Todd wasn't there. Number 24, hello, it's me. Listen to that song if you've never heard it. 
Number 23 is Dave Matthews Band, a song called Satellite. Satellite by Dave Matthews. Number 22, if you've never heard of Olita Adams, she has a voice that is hard to believe how beautiful it is. There's a song called Get Here. It is about accomplishing what you want to accomplish no matter what it takes. When you want to be with someone or see someone or be something or do something, you do whatever you have to do. Just get here if you can. Number 21, you better have heard of this by Neil Young, old man. Old man, take a look at yourself. I'm a lot like you are. It is a haunting song. Number 20, Don't Give Up by Peter Gabriel featuring Kate Bush. It's from his uh, Sledgehammer album. Uh, it's not called Sledgehammer, the album. It may be called Sledgehammer. The album that has Sledgehammer on it. If Peter Gabriel, if you've actually never heard of him, you should check him out. He did In Your Eyes from a movie, Say Anything, with John Cusack holding up the boombox. Anyway, it's called Don't Give Up. Number 19, John Mellencamp, I Need a Lover. It's got one of the greatest introductions of all time because I've made tremendous money on this. Here's the bet you make. Get the extended version of I Need a Lover. It's got a long musical introduction. And it sounds as though the words are going to start and bet someone a dollar that they will not know when to say the words will start. Say, tell me when do the words start, they'll get it wrong. And then when they start, they're good. Number 18, Jackson Brown, it's called For Every Man. Number 17 by Steely Dan is called Dirty Work, featured prominently in the movie American Hustle. Number 16 is a song by Alicia Keys that she debuted for me in the Stand Up to Cancer benefit. <coughs> Excuse me, when Stand Up to Cancer, I forgot to hit the cough button. It's called Not Even the King. It's a song about people who have a lot of money, uh, but nothing else. And uh, by the way, Mikey just gave me the info that Todd Rundgren, he, Liv Tyler, is the daughter of Steven Tyler, but she has a very close relationship with her adoptive father, other Todd Rundgren. I can't believe I was right. That's totally insane. Anyway, never met Liv. Okay, back to the countdown. Not even the king is about how money does not buy you happiness. Trust me. Number 15 is a song called All I Know by Art Garfunkel. Art Gar Garfunkel is half of Simon and Garfunkel. All I know, it's, it's beautiful beyond words. Number 14, Rocky Mountain High by John Denver. Rocky Mountain High, never seen an eagle fly. Nothing. Rocky High, Mikey. Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. Okay, it's a good song. Number 13 is a meaningful song to me by Barry Manilow called Weekend in New England. It's about what happens when you have a moment. And life to me is about moments. What happens when that moment ends? How do you get that moment back? And the realization you cannot get that moment back. Number 12 is the reason nothing personal will be on the air forever. Billy Joel, only the good die young. Number 11, Elvis Costello. It's been in many, many movies. Peace, love, and understanding. Uh, just watched Lost in Translation when Bill Murray does the karaoke version of Peace, Love, and Understanding. Watched the movie Singles, written by Cameron Crowe, when Jeremy Piven, the agent Ari from Entourage, is a checkout guy in a grocery store and sings to... One of the characters, what's so funny about peace, 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 love and understanding. Number 10, it's Friday. I'm in love. The cure. Number nine, Bruce Springsteen. If, you have to, if you've never seen Bruce Springsteen in concert, I'm sorry. It's called Thundercrack. Thundercrack is my number one Bruce Springsteen song. It's brilliant. Number eight, Cat Stevens, father and son. It's got a line in there. If they were right, I'd agree. But it's them they know, not me. Think about that line. It's about telling someone what to do and you doing your in your own way. Feeling like you want to make your own mistakes. And what you say to someone like your father, you say, if they were right, I'd agree, but it's them they know, not me. We all bring our personal experiences to bear when we are giving advice to other people. We think because something happened to us, it by definition will happen to them. 
Number seven is called Watch Your Step. It's a small song by Elvis Costello, but that's a song. If you have a motivational song, I listened to this before every exam I ever took, before every exam in college, law school, before every big meeting when trying to get the ballpark before I meet with the, the, a governor or a mayor, before any big game that I would play in or watch or be a part of, before any big moment, I would listen to Watch Your Step. Don't say a word. Don't say anything. Number six, I led Zeppelin, Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? It's about a street corner girl. It's about falling out. Hey, hey, what can I do? Number five is by The Who. It's a song called Athena, not the most famous song by The Who, but it's my fifth favorite song in history. Athena, I had no idea how much I need her. Number four is my favorite Billy Joel song called And So It Goes. PJ, if you're out there listening, will you ever forget the limo ride at the Emmys? And so it goes. It is a song about not giving yourself properly to somebody, keeping your heart closed, losing that person, and figuring out how to just not just get that person back, but the reality that maybe you can't. And so it goes. Number three is Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Please listen to that song. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. It, it's number three. Number two is uh, Sting. Do you know Sting, Mikey? It's called Fields of Gold. Listen to the Sting song, Fields of Gold. It is about the lifespan of a man and then a woman and their life together and what happened on the fields of gold. And my favorite song, you know already, because I've released that. My favorite song, number one, is by Elton John. It's called Your Song. My gift is my song, and this one's for you. I took time to make that list. Those are my top 25. I want to thank you for listening to the August Mailbag Bonus Pod. We are here at Nothing Personal. We'll do one again at the end of September. Get on Apple, rate, review, ask the next set of questions. Your questions are good. They make me think. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Have a great day. And remember, listen to some of those songs. Come on, it's personal to me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.